guys. Thanks for checking in with me here on The Vanishing Point. Uh, I want to segue a little bit from our discussions on theme, because I've been doing a little bit of thinking about creativity in terms of this, uh, what's called the new digital ontophony. Ontophony is my new word. I really kind of like that. So this new digital reality in terms of being creative and, and creating art, whether it be through digital painting or uh, creating music. Um, so interestingly enough, it's music I want to talk about because it gave me some something of an epiphany yesterday. Um, so I finished cutting together a little short film, and uh, it's sort of dedicated to a, a colleague of mine, the, the principal actor in the film who passed away fairly recently. Uh, and it's quite an emotional journey, putting this sort of final cut to this film together. And one of the things I wanted to do was to create the soundtrack as a, sort of my own kind of musical eulogy, I suppose, uh, to a man who was very inspirational uh, and uh, definitely an, an important part of the crew and, and an important part of the story. But beyond that, just an incredibly encouraging, positive man. And so, whilst I was writing the theme, I was going on this wonderful emotional journey, um, and I realized that, first of all, the core of creativity requires some kind of an emotional journey. The more powerful the emotional journey that you undertake, the more powerful the artifact that you end up producing. I was also struck by the process of actually creating the music, how similar it was in context to both writing and creating concept art. So check this out, guys. My first stage when approaching the music is to understand what the rhythm of the entire film is. Right? So the rhythm for me is something that sets the tone. Right? So I, I generally go through the... Um, sort of entire film with a metronome and try to find a central beat to everything. Uh, now that might seem somewhat unrelated to perhaps digital painting or writing, but the next phase struck me in its similarity. So one of the things I generally tend to do is take a look at a theme for the central character. Um, and in this case, uh, there are two principal characters that sort of come to a head at the climax of the film. So I started thinking about a theme for both of them, right? And part of creating that musical theme is understanding their core wound and who they are as people. And what is the, I guess, principal driving force behind how these characters tackle life? Right? Understanding that gave me sort of a tonality to it. So, for example, uh, the primary character who's his journey is quite sad and quite tragic. So a lot of the uh, stuff I was coming up with was in the minor keys and in the lower ranges and things like that. Uh, and then, of course, we have his buddy who's trying to save him, and he's located in the higher ranges in terms of the themes. So I've got these themes down, and I'm trying to layer in. Sometimes I layer in a beat, but for this particular project, I was trying to layer in a consistent round so that their themes kind of played through uh, various sequences and continued through very much like uh, an actor's through line. So this was interesting. I'm roughing out the music. I'm just pick, picking a single Steinway piano and a little bit of reverb, given that 
sort of echoey quality that uh, is often associated with loneliness and sadness. And just following that through line from the beginning of the story to the end. And then I'm roughing in various passes, adding another track, roughing in another pass, and trying to get that central theme nailed down. Now, in subsequent passes, I'm going to come in and try to find those dramatic moments that I can access. So I've finished with the character, and I'm looking for those beats, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it, the, uh, the emotional context that shapes the conflict from scene to scene. So that layers over top of the character's music. Eventually, I'll come back and I'll, I'll hit the rhythm section so I can tighten that up a bit. Uh, but that feels like sort of a second pass of cleanup, to be completely honest. To use a, a term from the animation world, it feels a little bit like a cleanup pass. Uh, and then I'll go in and I'll fill in the details where I'm going to throw in French horns, Tiffany drums, and things like that. Uh, and then a final touch, I might go through and explore some of my synth sounds and see if I can create atmosphere, uh, something like that. Now, the, again, the very interesting observation from my point of view is how similar this was in terms of how I tackle drawing or how I tackle animation or how I tackle writing. It all has to do with roughing out an initial idea, making sure that key, shape, form, or pose is there in very, very rough form, and then kind of building out the details, and then understanding the, the visual dialogue or the shape language that you're trying to create, and then starting to build that in, and then layering in the visual color, first with tonal passes, uh, then with color block-ins, and then sort of carving in things like your specular highlights and minor shadow detail and things like that. This whole idea of working from primary forms to tertiary forms and so forth seems to be a powerful kind of concept in terms of creating any intellectual property that's got that sense of craftsmanship and attention to detail and value. So it's interesting because I was reading on a writer's form about uh, tackling things like a log line or uh, sort of a one-page pitch. Oh, let's go to the log line because it was quite interesting. Uh, now, the order of how you solve the log line issue is definitely personal preference, generally up to the writer. Uh, but it, for me, the log line closely relates to theme. Uh, they can be completely disparate, separate beasts in and of themselves. Uh, but oftentimes I find that there is some sort of tie between the theme and the log line. So I generally dip back and forth between the two. Now, it's interesting. A, a lot of advice from professional writers on the forums have indicated that they'll fill a page or two of log line ideas, hundreds of them, right, to get this iterative process out of their heads and help to kind of spur sort of creative clarity. And that's exactly what we do when we're doing concept art. We'll thumbnail out ideas. We'll fill a page of hundreds of hundreds of silhouettes and thumbnail drawings until we can narrow it down to three specific thumbnails, which we'll blow up and we'll do a rough treatment on. So we'll rough out 
really, really loose character sketch. And then we'll choose the one, and we'll blow that up for full detail and possibly a painting pass. So, yeah, I think that was very, very interesting in terms of the perspective of how we should approach creativity. I think this idea of attacking something in multiple passes until you've nailed down the central core of your idea is something that really resonates with me. Now, here's the kicker. There's nothing that facilitates that more than our age of digital creativity today. I think the best piece of advice I'd gotten off a concept artist, a guy named Aaron Kambitz, that I worked with fairly briefly for a couple of years on a few projects. And uh, at the time, I was still a very careful and meticulous artist. And he was amazing. The, the stuff that Aaron paints was phenomenal. Still is phenomenal. And uh, I remember him coming by my desk one day and saying, Al, you know, you got multiple undos. You got 99 undos in, in Photoshop. On top of that, you can save as many variations as your hard drive can handle. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, so what are you driving at? <laughs> and Aaron's just like, experiment, bro, right? Try a few different things. Stretch the boundaries of your creativity and your imagination. I mean, he didn't, I'm paraphrasing wildly here. Uh, Aaron's quite a stern, serious, sedate man. Well, I don't know if I'd say sedate, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it was um, definitely in his own way quite inspiring in terms of the advice that he gave. And so I took that to heart, not just for concept art, but for anything I do digitally. So, back to writing the soundtrack. I'm working inside of Pro Tools. Uh, I haven't yet had the opportunity to work with uh, software such as Cubase, but I've also worked with Logic Pro. Uh, and for me, Logic Pro is a little bit more conducive to the pure musician in me. Logic Pro is a lot easier to just sort of plug in and play. But we'll, we'll talk about software usability in terms of artist processes, perhaps in another blog. But uh, I'm staying primarily in Pro Tools uh, for this particular soundtrack, largely due to the fact that I really want to get to know Pro Tools inside and out. And, man, I tell you, it is a powerful, powerful piece of software in terms of how much it supports the artist and how much it enables the artist. And I, if you think about it, we're living in a golden age where things like a full orchestral piece is in the palm of your hands. Great software is such an enabler, and it should not be something that we struggle with or fight against or even, even polarize over, you know, what's better, a full live orchestra versus the you know, digital scenario. You know, I think that, uh, that's an interesting argument whether traditional means versus digital means uh, will dictate quality of outcome. But again, that's another podcast. One of the things that I want to emphasize is that Pro Tools allows me to try things over and over again and to just experiment with how I layer those tunes. And in a lot of ways, during this process, I'm getting to know my characters even deeper. I'm starting to understand how they tick, what makes them think? What is their driving emotional core? I'll look at the actor's performances, little cues like eye ticks, blinks, just a subtle crease of the brow will suddenly dictate when a new instrument comes in 
or another flavor layers the theme or the tempo changes. And all of this stuff is interconnected with the human experience, especially when it comes to entertainment storytelling. So there you have it. Some interesting, I guess, revelations about creativity in a digital age while writing some powerful dramatic music for a short film. Okay, thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, next podcast, I'm going to pop back on and we'll start exploring theme a little bit deeper. Uh, before I let you go, guys, one quick addendum about theme. Now, it's interesting to me because a lot of times, uh, I remember being a kid. Let's start there. I remember being a kid and being in English class and we'd be reading a short story or a novella or what have you. And the writing teacher would stand up or the English teacher would stand up at the front of the class and very didactically say, what was the theme? And then some people would say the theme is this and other people would say the theme is that. And then we'd get into a scenario where I thought, man, you guys are overanalyzing this, right? The writer just wrote those scenes because it was cool. He was intuiting it or he wanted to capture or she wanted to capture a particular emotion on paper. You know, but... As I get older, I realize that that might not necessarily be the full argument. It's interesting. There's a lot of uh, sort of professional working writers who say, oh, I don't need theme. Or they'll say, ah, you know, theme sort of emerges during the writing process, which has sort of equal value and credence. I'm not saying one is preferable over, or I'm not saying one is more correct, rather. I'm just wanting to talk about my preference when it comes to theme. And for me, yeah, you don't need to have your theme at the outset. Uh, your theme doesn't have to be sort of a search for universal moral truth or any of that from my previous podcast. For me, on a personal level, guys, to be completely honest, this is what I want to explore. I want to create narratives and stories that explore the depth of human emotion and the human condition. But I also want to challenge existing conventions. And I basically want to create a theme that hits you on an instinctual level, but afterwards you sort of have to unpack. Now that's really, really hard to do. And I do understand the instinct part of designing theme or understanding theme. But I also appreciate sort of the thinking, rational part, the analytical brain that can really carefully and meticulously design something. So in a lot of ways, my approach to theme is very, very similar to what I just talked about in terms of digital creativity, in terms of music, art, and writing. When it comes to theme, yes, I want to dive in there and intuit it. I want to feel out the theme and understand how it works on a very primal level with as very few words as possible. But then I'm going to want to do a second pass on that, a detailed pass on that, and make sure that what I've created resonates on multiple layers. So that's my approach. And if you guys share a similar philosophy to creativity, then welcome to my podcast. You have found a kindred spirit uh, and I am your people. <laughs> Thanks a lot for checking in with me. And next podcast, will definitely hit up Yoda. Cheers. Thanks, guys.
checking in. Uh, this is uh, your host, Al Kang, on The Vanishing Point. I just wanted to add a little bit of an addendum to uh, this particular episode on the creative process. And it's sort of important, because I've been asked the question, you know, quite often, how do you facilitate creativity on demand? I mean, man, that's a really, really tough question, especially when you're first starting out on a creative path. Because we generally tend to rely on flashes of inspiration. Up until the point where we're doing it for a living, the only time we've ever been creative is, you know, perhaps on a Saturday afternoon, maybe, you know, once a week, maybe once a couple of weeks, we'll have those creative moments and we'll engage in a project for a few hours. Um, As kids, we have the luxury to daydream. And uh, daydreaming is a whole other issue, which I'll talk about in a moment. But uh, when you start to do creativity on demand as part of your work, and there's a paycheck riding at the end, it's sort of difficult to understand how you can bottle that lightning, something that seems like such an odd occurrence of chance in sort of a predictive routine, right? Like delivering on deadlines and things like that. So it's it's not an easy thing. But you know what? It can be trained. It can be learned. It can be trained. And here's the thing. Over the years, I've learned quite a few different tricks within the process of being creative that have helped to facilitate idea generation, right? You can actually work your creativity just like you can a muscle. And and just as with exercising or working out, anybody can do it. Anybody can develop those skills. It just takes, as always, time, effort, and determination. So here's the thing. One of the biggest tricks that I learned is not really a trick. It's this idea of 20 iterations. 20 iterations is the key to creative success. So I'll tell you how this works. One day, I was working on some concept art, and uh, I was working with my mentor, a gentleman named Elo Rodas. For those of you who don't know, Elo Rodas is awesome. He's like the godfather of sci-fi design. Uh, the dude designed the Klingon Bird of Prey. He designed Boba Fett, Slave One, the Adat Walkers. He did the first pass designing Buzz and Woody and uh, Toy Story. I mean, just amazing. The, the guy's a legend. When, uh, we had the, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity of working with him. All of us guys in the studio, we used to refer to him as Yoda. Uh, and that's a moniker that was well-deserved. So uh, I remember talking to him about... Uh, sort of this idea and uh, uh, of spurring creativity on demand. And, you know, uh, at the time, I developed my own particular tricks, but he said something that was quite profound at the time and stuck with me. You know, and this is sort of my filtered interpretation of it, but he would say, you got to iterate on an idea at least 20 times before you can get to that core heart of originality. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. It's like... He was telling me stories about being an industrial designer and how he'd have to design hundreds and hundreds of thumbnails to kind of get to his core idea. So I started thinking about this, and I unpacked it. And here's my sort of development on what Neil Rodas used to put upon us poor junior concept artists. So if you think about it, 
from a biological perspective, now this seems like a tangent, but bear with me, guys. From a biological perspective, at the most primal level, we're wired for what? We're wired for fight or flight. That's our most primitive response. I mean, we can get into human behavioral psychology later, but uh, it's something that we so commonly understand that fight or flight instinct is now cliche, right? So this is how our bodies are built. This is how our brains are wired for survival. And in a situation of high stress, i.e. life-threatening situation to any other varying degrees of incredibly stressful situations, the brain tries to access the quickest information, the shortest solution to circumnavigate that stress and get us out of this situation fast, right? Make those decisions fast. So to do this, what does the brain do? The brain starts to fire off neurons that are the most recent in terms of our recollection. Memories and responses that uh, we can instantly sort of access. So our most recent memories, our most recent activities, things that uh, I guess would be close to hand in terms of a solution to get out of a problem. So what does that mean? Well, when faced with creative stress, that means our brains will look at the last movie we saw, the last comic book we read, the last novel we read, the last CD we listened to, and we don't even know what's going on. It's all happening at a subconscious level. Right? So an indication of this, if you guys have any kind of doubt, is, oh, the last time, as a designer, or as a writer, um, when was the last time you came up with a particular idea? And you showed it to your colleagues and your comrades, and you're like, oh, look at this, and they'll either read it, or they'll look at your artwork, and they'll go, oh, yeah, okay, it's kind of like the Matrix. You know, it's kind of like the Matrix meets Jurassic Park, or something. And then you'll tear the piece of paper out of their hand and they'll go, no, it's not. It's nothing like that. And you grumble and stop away and you re-look at your artwork or your writing and angrily do a rewrite or a redraw. Right? But uh, <laughs> here, that's the reason why these types of things happen. Because you are accessing the most recent memories in your mind. The human brain is very, very efficient in terms of a database. So what do we do, right? Well, we go through the 20 iterations. So let's say I'm designing uh, an Amazon kind of warrior, right? So, or actually, a better better cliche would be an alpha warrior, right? So as I'm designing this elf character, I'm going through all the cliches, the leaf elf, the ice elf, the dark elf. And, you know, you go through these to get those surface ideas out of your head. As you start to dig deeper, it becomes much, much harder. You start to access deeper memories. You go further back. You start struggling through the archives of what you have stored for visual memory or even just memory. And then suddenly, you're digging into your childhood and things that have happened you know, between your friends when you were 10 years old or things that happened between you and your parents and memories and events and life choices that belong only to you and memory pathways that only you can access. And suddenly, bam, originality. Your voice comes through and it resonates 
with a sound that nobody else shares. It's just you. It's just core you and your idea. This is how vital the iterative process is for finding your voice. So write those log lines. Write those hundred log lines over and over again. Draw those pages and pages of thumbnails and silhouette drawings of your character hundreds of them over and over again. Play that tune or that riff that you have in your head over and over and over again. Because you'll dig deep into the core of who you are and find your voice. So, we've talked at length about the creative process. I'm going to dive back in to further discussions on theme, which all sort of relates to the struggle that we sometimes face as creatives in terms of connecting with your, our, our audiences on a primal emotional level and finding that uniqueness that is only us. But don't worry, guys. We'll get there. <laughs> 